Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Uh, it's so good to be with you guys this evening. Um, I want to start with a little bit of a game, um, as such, a bit of word association. So when I say the phrase, you say the first thing that comes to mind. So if I say, I'm loving it, what do you think of? There we go. Okay, um, just do it. Nike, there we good. Eat fresh. Uh, less confident, Subway, okay. Um, finish this catchphrase. Um, um, there are some things money can't buy. There we go, for everything else is MasterCard. Okay, the reason why I do this is because every single day you are bombarded with information that is vying for your attention and regardless if you like it or not, you take it in. I mean, unless you're... I'm not going to say that. Um, if you chose to learn those catchphrases, it would be a bit odd, right? Because we're bombarded by stuff every day, we just seem to take it all on board. I read a really interesting fact the other day that said this, um, the average person today takes on more information in one day than the average person in the 15th century did in a lifetime. That's just crazy, isn't it? All the handheld devices, the TV, everywhere you look, there is writing and information trying to vie for your attention. And Dallas Willard, an amazing author, he writes this, he said, The visible world daily bludgeons us with its things and events. They pinch and pull and hammer away at our bodies. Few arise in the morning as hungry for God as they are for cornflakes or toast and eggs. But instead of shouting and shoving, the spiritual world whispers at us ever so gently. And you know what? To hear the voice of the invisible God above the, the noise and the clamor of the world that bombards us every single day, I believe we need to become even more tuned in to what the voice of God sounds like in order to hear that voice above the noise. And in order to, to, to know what the voice of God sounds like, I believe that spiritual disciplines are something that are really helpful and I would go as far as saying vital in in order to um, know what it is and cultivate a life that is attuned to the voice of God. But the problem is when I say discipline, you think, oh, I don't like the word discipline. And we don't. It's got negative connotations attached to it. So I think sometimes a more helpful word is the word uh, practices. Um, but whatever you call it, practices or disciplines, I believe are a good thing because I believe that they help align our focus with and help us protect what we value most disciplines help protect what you value most so if you're a parent you will have disciplines for your children not because you're wanting to be a mean parent at least I hope not but you care for your children because you value them the most you put disciplines in place like don't cross that road don't speak to strangers and you put these things in place in your life to protect what matters most and disciplines or practices as we'll call them have a kind of similar effect and one of the practices that I think can help us become more attuned to the 
voice of God is the practice of fasting. And I think this is especially poignant as we're about to head into the season of Lent, which starts uh, this Wednesday. And as Ollie said, uh, across the whole uh, Ivy Church, uh, all the different sites are committing to fast on a day a week. And I want to spend a little bit of time this evening exploring what is fasting and how on earth does it help me with hearing God's voice uh, and all of that. So... I don't profess to be particularly experienced in fasting. There are plenty more people who have got years on me. Um, But uh, I believe that God has spoken to me recently, and I've really been prompted to fast more on a regular basis. And for me, as I'm sure is true for many people here, I've got a real desire to hear the voice of God more clearly. Anyone else in the same boat? Raise a hand. Yeah, come on. It's good that we want to hear the voice of God. And as well, there's things that I want to see God do in and through me, not for my glory, but for his glory. There are things that I'm praying for and contending for to see breakthrough in, and I'm longing for God to do something in those things. But as I've been holding things in prayer these past few months, I've felt the Lord speak to me ever so clearly and said, Pete, it's great that you want these things. But I felt him ask me this question, how hungry are you? And I want to ask you tonight, how hungry are you for the things of God? Just over a week ago, um, my parents live in Sheffield and I was making the drive over to the snake and... um, Uh, I was driving to see my dad who's recently recovered from an operation to remove a brain tumour and I I was fortunately like the the operation went well and I was just thanking God for for all that he'd done Uh, but I was praying that the the cancer would disappear altogether at the same time I was holding up my mother-in-law in in prayer who's recently uh, had the um, diagnosis that her breast cancer had spread and so it was a really tough time in our family and As I was reflecting uh, on what had been happening in our families, I I suddenly came to the realization there have been very few times in my life when I've been as fervent in prayer as I have for my family in this last season. And I was hit smack in the face by this truth that until something is touched in your life, you're always going to be lukewarm. Until God touches something in your life, you're always going to be lukewarm. And the truth is, God hates lukewarm. Read about it in Revelation. And I thought I was passionate about the lost and seeing breakthrough and hearing God's voice until something was touched in my life that made me contend for something in prayer in a way that I never had done before. And I tell you what, since the other week, I've got an even greater desire now to touch my life in a way that begins to make the things of God's heart the deepest desire of my heart. And I believe that fasting is a great and a beautiful practice that can help cultivate this kind of spiritual hunger. Anyone want that in their lives tonight? Come on. Okay, I'm going to pray for us before I continue. Father, we love you. And so often we declare with our lips how much we want to see and things that we contend for in prayer, Father. But may that become more than just the right thing to say and may it flow from the deepest desire of our being. Father, would you do a a new work in us? We give you permission to move us, to stir us, to shape us, that we may be forever changed because we have you inside of us and we feel the things of your heart for this world. We give you permission to move in us, Jesus. Amen. 
So for many, fasting might seem a bit of a countercultural thing to do, especially in our society, because we are a nation that loves food. Hands up, foodies. There are a few of us. It's hard not to be when you live in a city like Manchester because there are just hundreds, if not thousands, of great places to eat. And I was saying to Lauren, I wonder what would happen or how long it would take you if you were to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner at every food establishment in the city, how many consecutive days could you eat for? And I thought, if anyone is willing to find that's a challenge, then I am available and ready if you're up for that. But we, uh, we love food, and we have food channels, food programs, we have celebrity chefs, we have takeaways, we have Deliveroo. Anyone use Deliveroo? I used it once in a moment of laziness. I was in Hyde Park, actually with Matt and Lucy and Lauren, and we couldn't bother to walk like 20 minutes down the road, so we got someone to deliver it on a bicycle for us. How lazy is that? But anyway, apparently in the UK, we spend on average a year 70 4.1 billion pounds in restaurants and cafes alone. That's not talking about supermarkets, that's restaurants and cafes. But the funny thing is, whilst we have an incredible appetite for indulging in food, the irony is that we're a nation that is obsessed with our appearance and our body image. Um, apparently we spend 27 billion pounds on health and beauty. And the biggest irony that you'll see, if you ever walk into a newsagent and just before the till, you have that aisle where on one side you have chocolate and crisps and all the good things that God has given us. And then on the left-hand side, you have the magazines on the front of which is a guy with nine pack abs and women who are saying, this is how you get your best bikini beach body. And I think these two things don't go together. I can't have that and have that. But these are the two things that our society for some reason uh, craves. I would be so bold as to say this, that our body's appetite has become our master. The body's appetite for stuff has become its master, and it has an amazing authority over our emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being. And you might think, Pete, that's a little bit of a bold statement, but just take a moment and look at our society. The motivation behind so much of what we do and the way that we behave is out of the pleasure principle. If I want it, I'll have it. If I've got an appetite for it, then I'm going to feed that appetite. And we see the fruit and the damaging effects of the pleasure principle the pleasure principle by the increase of debt because we spend money that we don't have the increase of divorce because people think well I want it I'm going to have it or have that person and we get into a horrible mess obesity is on the rise addiction and depression because we think by indulging in appetite it's going to make everything okay and in fact it's giving the opposite effect in many places in the New Testament, and we're going to get to the Bible in a moment, um, it talks about how we can live our lives according to the flesh. And in some of your Bibles, you will read the phrase, the sinful nature. And when it talks about the flesh or the sinful nature, it's a Greek word, um, sarks, and it literally means the flesh, the human body, your, your physicality. And fasting is a, a practice that can help free us from unhealthy patterns of living, where instead of being mastered by our body's appetite, we can feed on the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of the basis of fasting. And I want to give a little bit of context into why fasting is important. So we're going to kind of skip around the Bible a bit. I hope you're ready for a bit of a journey uh, around the Bible. So we're going to start in the book of Genesis, and I should come up behind me. In Genesis 2-7, we read this. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. I want to say, start by saying, you are more than just a physical being. God said he made you from the dust 
of the ground, you are physical, but then it says he breathed his breath in you. And the word for breath in, in the Hebrew is ruach, which means spirit. So your body is a physical temple for the, for the Holy Spirit. You are physical and a spiritual being. Later in Genesis 3, verse 1 to 6, we read this. It said, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you'll die. You won't certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, notice she had an appetite, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. You know, sin started with humanity's inability to not eat something that was put in front of them. In other words, sin started when humankind gave in to an appetite. And what I'm not saying is that the root of sin is food. That is not true. Um, But the root of sin is to believe the lie of the enemy rather than the truth of God. And this is what Adam and Eve did. They believed the lie of the enemy and gave in to an appetite rather than trusting the word of God, which is truth and is good for us. And you might be thinking right now, Pete, what does this have to do with fasting? We'll get there in one minute. But here's the thing about appetite and hunger. Just because you feed an appetite doesn't mean it will satisfy your hunger. I'll say that again. Just because you feed an appetite doesn't mean it will satisfy your hunger. And I believe this is expressed um, in one of the most prophetic songs of the last 10 years. And believe it or not, it's not a Bethel song. It's not Hill songs. It is, in fact, a Lily Allen song. This song was written in 2009. I want to read the lyrics to you because this, for me, epitomizes what is going on in the world today. She says this, and I've kind of censored some of the words. Um, anyway, it says, she says... I want to be rich and I want lots of money. I don't care about clever, I don't care about funny. I want loads of clothes and shed loads of diamonds. I've heard people die while they're trying to find them. I'll take my clothes off and it will be shameless because everyone knows that's how you get famous. I'll look in the sun and I'll look in the mirror. I'm on the right track, yes, track, yes, I'm onto a winner. And the chorus says this, I don't know what's right and what's real anymore. I don't know how I'm meant to feel anymore. When do you think it'll all become clear because I'm being taken over by the fear? She finishes, life's about film stars and less about mothers. It's all about fast cars and cussing each other. But it doesn't matter because I'm packing plastic and that's what makes my life so flipping fantastic. I am a weapon of massive consumption. It's not my fault, it's just how I'm programmed to function. I look in the sun and I look in the mirror. I'm on the right track. Yes, I'm on to a winner. And I think more than ever, we live in a society that has an insatiable desire to indulge an appetite in the hope that will satisfy a deep-rooted hunger. And the truth is, it never, ever will. In Ecclesiastes, um, the writer says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. In other words, there's something that God is inbuilt inside of people that, that desires something more. And I believe the cry of our generation, in fact, our society is, surely there must be more to this. We see so many people who have made it, who have got it all, who on the surface have fed and fed and fed and they have everything that the world deems as a good thing. Yet inside they say, surely there must be more than this this. 
and it's true. And the truth is, that's not just true outside of the church. I really believe this, that we can't expect our hunger for more to be satisfied when all we do is indulge in appetite. I'll say that again. We can't expect our hunger for more to be satisfied when all we do is indulge in appetite. I want to jump forward in Scripture to Matthew 4, and it's a passage that some of you might know well. It's when Jesus was fasting in the wilderness at the start of his ministry, uh, and it said he went into the desert to fast for 40 days where he was tempted by the devil. And after 40 days of fasting, Jesus would have been really hungry. I mean, I fast for a day, and I get really hangry. Anyone else get hangry when you don't have food? Yes. Amen to that. Um, but he'd gone 40 days without food. He would have been beyond starving. He would have been weak physically, mentally, emotionally. He would have been exhausted. And then the devil comes to tempt him at his weakest point. And the first thing that he does is he tempts Jesus with food. And he says, if you are the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. I wonder if you get a sense of deja vu. Uh, for a moment because notice the devil's tactic he questions the truth of God so that Jesus would believe a lie rather than the word of God and what's happening here in Matthew 4 he's, he's just replaying the scene in the garden with Adam and Eve the first thing that the devil did is he tried to tempt them uh, with an appetite and he questioned the truth of God uh, rather than um, yeah, he, he questioned the, the truth of, of God Jesus is replaying the story in the garden, only this time, Jesus doesn't give in to the tempter. Where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus succeeded. Where we fail, Jesus succeeded. And Jesus quoted this at the devil. He said, man shall not live on bread alone. In other words, the stuff that satisfies the physical. He says, but I'm going to live on every word that comes from God. We're physical and we're spiritual, but that deep-rooted hunger comes from that, that spiritual fulfillment. How did Jesus succeed against the devil? He fasted. After fasting, Jesus was stronger. He was hungry, but he was positioned in a way that he could take on the devil and his schemes and overcome. And I think there's power in fasting. Take it from Jesus. That's how he started his ministry. With fasting, he was stronger. And you know what? In Jesus' day, fasting was common place, especially in first century Jewish society, most good God-fearing Jews would fast twice a week, usually from um, uh, sunrise to sunset, uh, people would fast. Um, in the early church, it used to be commonplace, and people would fast corporately, they would fast individually, but in a culture today where we love to indulge in food, some people think fasting sounds a little bit crazy, and if you go, you fast? Are you part of a cult or something? No, we're not. It's a real godly discipline. And so I want to ask the question, what is fasting? I've given us a bit of background to it, but what actually is fasting? And as I answer this question, I answer it in a way that I've tried to be as faithful as I can to what scripture teaches about fasting. Because there's lots of things that the world will say that fasting is, and there's lots of things we have adopted as the church, what I think isn't quite fasting. And all I've done is look at what scripture says and let that lead us. So, first of all, what fasting isn't. Fasting isn't dieting. Jesus didn't fast to get ripped, to look good at the start of his ministry. He did not do that. And this is a good example of where you can do a good thing with bad motivation. And I've been guilty of that. I thought, well, if I fast, I'll lose a few pounds and it'll be great. No, that's not why we fast at all. 
Fasting is also different to abstinence, which is what many people do during Lent. And I believe that there's quite an important difference between fasting and abstinence. To abstain from something is to refrain from doing something or to give something up. So people often do social media, TV, uh, chocolate. Uh, That's not necessarily fasting. That is abstaining from something. And it is a great and beautiful and necessary uh, practice um, where we refrain from certain habits or behaviors. Um, I think abstinence is an amazing thing that will help guard your heart uh, against the things that will quench your love for Jesus. And if you look at most of the Old Testament, so much of the law was based around this idea of abstinence. But it was different for fasting. Abstinence was the thing that would set you apart. So if I refrain from that, I'm different because I'm setting myself apart for that. Fasting was something a little bit different. Um, fasting also is not a restrictive diet. And I say this really carefully because I'm not here to criticize what people may have done or thought this is just my take on what I believe God has said to me. Um, but yeah, fasting is not a restrictive diet. And, and people will often talk about the Daniel fast and I've done that before, and it's a great thing, so I'm not speaking badly of this. Please hear me in this. Um, But what Daniel was actually doing, if we read Daniel 1 and Daniel chapter 10, he he was abstaining. He chose not to eat the choice foods from the king's table because he was a God-fearing Jew in a foreign nation, and he wasn't fasting. He was saying, I want to set myself apart, so I'm going to choose not to do that. In the same way, some people today might say, I want to give up alcohol in this environment because I want to set myself apart. I want to refrain from this kind of activity because I want to set myself apart or I want to guard my heart because if I partake in this, then it could lead me down a slippery uh, slope. Daniel did fast. He fasted for three days, but that was in um, Daniel chapter 9. Um, but do hear me this. Abstinence is beautiful and it's necessary and it's part of God's law from the beginning. It's a great thing. So I said what fasting is not, but what is fasting? Well, if you look at the Bible, fasting is simply not eating food for a certain period of time. Um, Yeah, anywhere you look in the Bible, it's always about not eating food. But not eating food in order to awaken a hunger for God and his Holy Spirit. That's why people do it. John Piper said that fasting is whole body hungering after God. I love that phrase. Fasting is whole body hungering after God. Most fasts, especially in Jewish culture and in the Bible, would last about 12 hours. As I said, usually from sunrise sunrise to sunset, people would fast. But why do people fast? Well, you don't fast to manipulate God. Fasting is not a hunger strike, so we can move God's hand and force him to do something. That's not why we fast. If you look in Scripture, I think there's three main reasons why people are called to fasting, and they're on screen now. The first one was to starve the flesh and to feed the spirit. The second one was people fasted to pray. And the third one is people would fast to stand in solidarity uh, with the poor. And I think if you read things in 2 Kings 17, it talks about when people fast, they'd often give away the food they wouldn't eat. And it was all focused on the poor and it was beautiful and amazing. Um, But I just want to focus on the second of these, about fasting to pray and the time that we have left. Not that I don't think the others are important, but... um, Recently, here in the evening services, we've been looking at prophecy and hearing the voice of God, and I believe that fasting goes hand in hand uh, with prophecy. Before I do go into that, I want to say a very quick thing about number one, start the flesh to feed the spirit. I said earlier, often in Paul's writing, he has this idea of um, 
He speaks about the flesh and the spirit. And he addresses this idea of appetite and hunger, as I mentioned early on. And he asks questions about what is it that is leading and has control of your life? And it's a good question to ask ourselves. What is it that actually has control of my life? Is it my appetite for stuff or is it God and the Holy Spirit? And here's the key. Freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want, whenever you want, which is what our society will tell you. Um, for Paul, that is slavery, slavery to the flesh. And you often hear that, I'm a slave, or people are slave to the flesh. That is not freedom. Instead, freedom is the ability to feed on the Spirit of God and allow it to transform you from the inside out. And when that happens, we start to want the things that God wants. We start to desire the things that God desires. And then, only then, is that deep-seated hunger that we try to fill our appetites with is fulfilled in Jesus. And so I believe that fasting is actually one of the greatest disciplines to break the power of sin in your life. It's a great practice for that. But as I said, I want to focus on number two, fasting to pray, which probably the most common way that we see fasting being used in the Bible is fasting to pray, especially to hear the voice of God. So anyone here, have you ever felt like there's a wall between you and God? Or you've had seasons in your life when you felt like heaven is silent and that your prayers are falling on deaf ears? Anyone had that? Yes, not only me. I've had those so many times in my life. And fasting is just a beautiful practice to go hand in hand with our prayer. You can do one without the other, but I think there's something powerful when we do the two of these things together. And we see this throughout the whole of Scripture. People will fast and pray in mourning, in repentance, when praying for breakthrough. People fast when needing God's provision, and especially to hear the voice of God, which is kind of the basis of the prophetic. To, to, yeah, to be prophetic, first of all, means to hear the voice of God. But rather than just take my word for it, I'm going to look at two passages very quickly uh, before we land. And the first one is an Old Testament passage, and it's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'm going to read it to us, or parts of it to us. And we read this. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Mennonites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Now, he was king of Judah at the time. And some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. Basically, there's a big army that's coming, and they're not just here to cause a bit of upset. The people that were coming against Judah were here to bring total destruction. This was bad news uh, for the king. Alarmed, surprisingly, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Notice, in a time of crisis, they pursue what they needed most, which was to hear the voice of the Lord. And there was an urgency to this situation. They needed to hear the voice of the Lord. So what did they do? They prayed and they fasted. I want to continue. Um, then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said... And this is beautiful. This is a few verses on. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. How many times have you been in a situation you thought, man, I have got no idea what to do right now. I've been in that situation so many times myself. And you can't see a way ahead. And more than anything, what you're longing to hear is the voice of the Lord speaking, give direction and wisdom when you most need it. 
And here in the passage that we're reading, in the context of a people who were desperate, who were kind of worrying for their lives, for the, um, they were worrying that their nation was going to um, be destroyed, they committed to prayer and fasting. And there's something powerful that God does as a result of them praying and fasting. Read this a few verses on. It said, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Notice, after prayer and fasting, the Lord speaks. He says this, Tomorrow, I know, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerul. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Uh, you, Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And guess what? The people of Judah were victorious because they obeyed, obeyed the voice of the Lord. And there's so many examples in Scripture when the people fasted and praised, prayed. They heard the voice of God, they obeyed, and they were victorious. There's something so powerful in Scripture and you can't escape it that when people fast and pray, it does something which attunes your ears to hearing the voice of God. I'm just going to close with one quick little passage. I'm not going to read it to you, but I'll paraphrase. But in Acts 13, there's a group of apostles that are worshipping, and guess what? Fasting together, and they were earnestly seeking the Lord together. Notice Acts is the book, it's the context of the early church. And it was in the context of fasting and praying, guess what happened? The Lord spoke to them. And the Holy Spirit spoke and said this, set aside Saul and Barnabas for the work which I have called them to. Now this is a monumental moment in the book of Acts. It's a monumental moment in the early church. It's a turning point. It's after this moment that Saul and Barnabas are sent to the ends of the earth. Until this point in Acts, the gospel has been spread to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But after this point, when they fasted and prayed, the Holy Spirit spoke and two people were sent to the ends of the earth and it changed the face of Christianity forever. The mission kind of was furthered with such um, uh, speed and power that it changed the world forever. And this happened in the context of guess what? Prayer and fasting. It was in that context that they heard the voice of God. And there's something about hunger that God finds attractive. In Jeremiah 29 verse 12, we read this. He says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. There's something about the seeking and the longing and the hunger that God finds value in. Because God is relational and more than anything, he wants your attention and your affection. And when someone is willing to set aside the appetite of the body, it's a demonstration to God that you are seeking him with everything. It's this whole body hungering after him. There's an amazing book called God Chasers by a guy called Tommy Tenney, and I want to read a quote of his. He says this, Worship and spiritual hunger make you so attractive to God that your circumstances cease to matter anymore. He will move heaven and earth to find a worshipper. 
When you begin to worship with all your being and desire, your heart turns to him, uh, your heart turns him toward you. You capture his attention and attracts his affection. And I believe that God, now more than ever, is looking for a people who are hungry after him. God is looking for a people to share his heart with. I only share important things on my heart with people that I trust and people that I'm close with. And I believe that God operates the same. If you came in here saying, God, I want to hear your voice better, then we've got to search for intimacy with the Lord. Sometimes we can come to God and all we want is his blessings and the good stuff, whereas actually what God wants is you to simply seek his face and spend time with him. And I believe it's in the context of intimacy with the Lord that he wants to speak to you. I know personally, and again, I'm compared to people I know. And isn't it surprising, actually, the people who are most prophetic are the ones who have those kind of intimate relationships with the Lord. It's no coincidence. It's what God desires. He desires intimacy. And he doesn't just want us to want him for the blessing. He wants us to want him for who he is. And I believe it's that context that the Lord speaks to us. I believe it's in the context of intimacy that God will touch something in your life that will leave you forever changed. I said about this at the beginning, it's only when God touches in something in your heart that you will move from being lukewarm to be set on fire for the things of God's heart. Tommy Tenney also said this, he said, when you pursue God with all your heart, soul and body, he will turn to meet you and you will come out of it ruined for the world. Wow. Are you seeking God tonight? Are you hungry for his presence? I want to invite Ellen, the band up, if that's right. We're going to respond in a moment. But are you longing for God to break through into your circumstances? Is the stuff that you're contending for, are the people that you're praying for, that you're seeking healing in, are you looking for guidance or wisdom and just longing to hear the voice of the Lord to speak into your situation? Well, are you hungry for him? He wants people that are longing after his presence. And it's in the context of intimacy that he'll whisper above the clamor and above the noise that the world shouts at us and he wants to whisper and share his heart with you. But I tell you what, when we do that, it will leave us forever changed. Can I invite you to stand if you're able and we're going to respond But in the context of this, this idea of whole body hungry, maybe fasting is something you could try, especially because we're doing it as a, a whole church together. And maybe if you've never done it before, start small and start simple. It's a practice and it takes practice. I tried fasting for the first day and all I did was I got hangry and I gave in and munched on some Jaffa cakes and it, it wasn't pretty. And, and, and God's okay with that. Um, but I believe the more we practice and the more we set aside the appetite and the, and the things that shout at us, I think the more God will meet us in that place. And it's a beautiful practice. But if you can't fast for whatever reason, and some people might not be able to for health reasons, or if you have an unhealthy relationship with food, then try abstaining from something. That will draw your attention towards God. If you want to give up social media or TV, something that is going to say, God, I'm trying to get rid of something in order to have more of you. And that's the heart behind it. And you don't, if you don't fast, that's okay. There's plenty of other disciplines I don't do. Silence and solitude, I'm terrible at. 
God still loves me and it's all good. Um, but I believe for many it could be the key to breakthrough and it could be the key to you hearing God's voice uh, in a way you've never heard. And it's, I'll say this, it's not a magic formula. The power is not in the practice, the power is in Jesus. We just use this as a tool to help stir up a hunger for the Lord. So, let's respond. Um, I just want to simply pray for people to receive a renewed hunger for God. Not for anything else. I'm not talking about the breakthrough or anything at the moment. And there's, there's things that God cares about. But what he wants more than anything is for you to desire him and him alone. And it's in that place he will meet you. He will speak with you. And then I believe he'll bring the breakthrough for the things you're contending for. If you want that tonight, I'd just love to maybe for you to posture yourself in a way you can, you might want to kneel, you might want to put your hands out in front. But if you're hungry for more of the Lord, I'm just going to pray for us and then we're going to worship together. Father, tonight we want to give you permission to move in us in a new way, in a deeper way. Actually, Lord, we want to repent of the things that we let indulge our attention and our affection and our appetite. We want to lay those things down. Father, we want to give you permission to touch the deepest part of our hearts and leave us ruined for the world. We invite you into every area of our lives, our work, our finances, our relationship. We want to invite you in. Because we're hungry for you. We're hungry for you, Jesus. We want your presence. It's the thing that we were created for was your presence. It's the thing we're going to be with and doing in eternity is spending time in your presence. We don't just want to know you as Lord, which you are. We want to know you as Father, as Daddy. We want to long after you, Jesus. Want it in your heart, just begin to turn and say, Jesus, I love you and I'm hungry for you. Come, Holy Spirit. I quote this quote a lot, but St. Augustine said this. He said, Thou hast put salt on my lips that I may thirst for you. Would you do that for us right now, Lord? We're not satisfied with how things are. We know there's more. We want to pursue your presence and you and you alone, Jesus. Let's worship together. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.